creativity is all around us, but we don't always get to see it. Or it's not recognized. Sometimes the creative product doesn't see the light of day. However, in some forms of creative expression, performance is essential to the act. Stay with us as we discuss theatrical creativity with Ms. Kim Corral, Assistant Professor of Theater at Dalton State College, who shares her insights about acting and theatrical directing. Welcome to Dialogues with Creators, a podcast that delves into the lives and thoughts of people in our region who are using their creativity in diverse ways. Creativity means creation, and sometimes that creation involves interpretation and performance. That's why today we are talking with Ms. Kim Carell. Kim is a hometown girl. She's from Ringgold who tried her hand at the big time in Los Angeles after earning her Master of Fine Arts in Theater from the University of North Carolina in Greensboro. Kim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Barbara. I love being here. I love to talk about theater and creativity. (laughs) And you have a lot to say. (laughs) I'm going to start with um, probably a question that under underlies all of this and this is getting a little off topic right at the beginning but (laughs) last um last week our president dr venable gave her last lecture and that's it uh it's because she's retiring and she spoke about finding your passion and your purpose and you have a very strong passion and purpose about theater and working with young people in the theater. So where did you uh, find that? What was the beginning of that experience and passion and purpose? Um, well, I think from a very early age, I always knew that I wanted to be a performer. I was always, uh, you know, singing. I grew up in church. I was singing in choir. Um, I took piano lessons. I was in plays in, you know, elementary school and high school. So I just always had this drive and this passion that I wanted to to be creative through the arts in that way. Um, and so that's kind of how it all got started. And then it just, the ball just went rolling from there. <laughs> in high school, were you in theater? Yes, I did a, a couple of shows in high school and kind of got my feet wet there and then decided, you know what, I think I want to do this for a living. And uh, that's when I went to, to college and started uh, my past majoring in drama at Jacksonville State University in Alabama, and then getting my master's, as you said, at UNC Greensboro. Okay. So then you went out to California, and what happened there? <laughs> well, I had some pit stops before I went to California. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, right after graduate school, um, I did a lot of theater in North Carolina, and then um, I moved out to Chicago, actually. It was a uh, it was a marriage, a first marriage that unfortunately ended, and uh, so I didn't live in Chicago, but for about a year, and then I returned uh, back to the South, and I lived in Birmingham for uh, quite a few years and did a lot of theater there. Then I moved to California and went out to Los Angeles, and I knew one person when I moved out there. Oh wow! <laughs> uh, but I loved it. I loved. I spent ten years there. I did a lot of uh, theater. 
I took acting classes because I feel it's important that you continue your training. Don't just stop once you graduate from college. I think acting is a, is a constant learning process. So it was important for me to continue that. I met a lot of wonderful friends. I, you know, did a few things I'll talk about in a second. Um, I also started uh, my teaching career out there. I was a substitute teacher for the Burbank School District. I taught ESL to adults through the Burbank Adult School, and I got my first college teaching job there at DeVry University, where I started teaching speech. And I was also a makeup artist for Longcomb Cosmetics, so I did lots of things while I lived out there. Wow, but that's experience, and that's great because you bring that both to the stage and to the to the classroom. And you really do. Do you talk about this all this experience much with your students? I do because they're always wondering, you know, how do you, how did you do this, Miss Kim? Because they call me Miss Kim, or how did you, you know, what did you do in California, or how did you, uh, you know, what kind of roles have you played? So I feel like any endeavor that I've gone into has just magnified my creativity and my passion for theater and for helping my students uh, become aware of it as well. Great. So looking back on that period of your life, and I was just thinking that the students are probably like, oh, wow, California. <laughs> they're, they're, you know, some of some of our students haven't been very far in the world. And so California probably sounds like the moon to them. Uh, well, it used to be that way to me until I went there. <laughs> okay, oh, it's there. beautiful. It's beautiful. It is there. And you're, I mean, from here, I mean, you're on the opposite side of the country. So it's very far. And for me, it's so funny because growing up, I was always a homebody and I, I would get homesick sometimes and I'd go spend the night with my girlfriends when I was little. And I don't think anybody expected that Kim would move that far away from home, but I did. And like I said, I knew one person. And then by the time I moved away 10 years later, I had just a host of friends and memories and that I will always cherish. I, I moved out there in the mid 90s. So, you know, it was a different time period out there then, obviously, and I don't regret moving out there. I learned a great deal about myself, about my craft, but I have to say that as an actor, if you want to pursue film and TV, you need to start young because it is a very youth-based uh, industry. <laughs> Not to say that, uh, you know, people with age can't accomplish things that they've usually done a lot uh, prior to that. So I moved out there when I was 30, almost 30. Probably uh, not the best time to go out there. Oh, wow. Um, that's interesting. So why do you think it's so youth-based? It is. It's 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 such a a market of what you look like and how you appear. I, I tell my students all the time, if you go into a film audition, expect to find 50 other people who look just like you. <laughs> in the room. And you have to find something that you can bring to the table that's very unique and different from all of those other people because they are looking for a type. You mm -hmm. even read the you know right up sheet what they're looking for a certain person in their certain age range hair color uh, physical type those types of things and so your casting agent is going to I mean your uh, your uh, sorry your theater agent or your uh, film agent is going to look at the breakdown and say okay Kim could go out for that and they send you out and back then it was not film, you had to physically get in your car and go to the auditions. It's so much easier for, for actors today, I think. Right. Well, and, you know, so much of that is moved to Atlanta now. And yes. um, so our students would have 
if they if they wanted, they would have uh, more opportunities than they would have had thirty years ago. Oh yes, oh yes. I when I first moved back here, I actually went to Atlanta and got an agent because I thought I was going to pursue this. But again, you had to drive down there still at that point, which would have been in two thousand three, and I had to get a full time job, and it just you know it just wasn't accessible. So, you know, I toy with the idea of, of pursuing getting an agent now at a, at a new age in my life. And maybe the market isn't as saturated with women my age now. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, I still I still throw that ball up in the air sometimes. Mm-hmm. So looking back on that period, what were the big artistic or performance highlights and uh, from that time for you? Um, I, I actually appeared on an episode of General Hospital, the soap opera. Uh, a lot of people may be familiar with that, which was kind of surreal because I had watched that soap opera my whole life. And so going to the studio that day was was very bizarre to me. <laughs> of course, I was just an airline stewardess. I had a few lines, but I, I wasn't what they call a day player. So I was able to to have a dressing room and all. And uh, so that was, uh, you know, kind of a highlight. I did a, a wonderful regional play uh, with a, with some well, at the time, the, well, now some of them are well-known actors, but my brother in the play was John Cryer. If you're familiar with that oh. actor. Um, yeah. He's a two and a half men and pretty in pink and that kind of thing. He played my brother. So that was an interesting process of rehearsals with this cast who had done this particular play. And they were revamping it in L.A. And I was brought in and auditioned to be double cast with another girl who was surging in her film career so they needed someone to take half the performances so i came in and and booked it so i was pretty happy about that that was a very interesting process working with a with an already established cast mm-hmm. can we find any of very <laughs> find any of your clips on youtube <laughs> you never know <laughs> i did a california lottery commercial that got me my sad card that's a screen actors guild card that you have to have to do professional film work and so that was that was a good thing um, and then you know like I, I took acting classes from two different acting teachers I did lots of independent films and I did a lot of theater as well mm-hmm. so uh you know people like well you didn't do anything famous or you know you didn't book a series and you know what I didn't but it's okay I'm very thankful for the experience I wouldn't trade it for the world uh, I don't think that success in the world of theater can be totally measured on how many sitcoms you book or films you do. It's to me, it's more of the attempt and that you that you went out and you at least tried. Yes. And for for me, I'm a person of faith. And for me personally, I believe, you know, if God had wanted me to go down a certain path, I, I would have been taken there. He may have seen things I didn't see. And so I just kind of have to look at it that way. Mm-hmm. And, and that that gets into the life lessons because I'm sure spending all that time out there, you just met so many people and had so many life lessons that, oh, yes, yes, very diverse group of friends. I had friends from my church that I was attending there. I had friends from uh, my makeup experience because I told you I was, a, I was a makeup artist for a long time. So I had that group of friends, my actor friends. My school friends where I was teaching. So I had a very a wide variety of friendships out there. So you're an expert in theater, directing, and acting. Other than what you said as a as a young person, you you just got drawn to it. What draws you to the field? I really think, Barbara, it's the ability to 
become another person and explore a different part or a different pathway other than my own really intrigues me to explore the life of this character because theater is truly a reflection of our lives. So I teach this in my my theater classes all the time, and it's the closest and most relatable art form to our own lives, more so than music, painting, sculpture, because we are seeing people's lives played out on the stage. And sometimes we can relate to it, and sometimes, you know, we don't, but we can still learn from it. Even though theater is heightened and dramatized and, and exaggerated more than our real lives, it's the, the closest thing we can have to have maybe having a cathartic moment by experiencing and going through that emotion with the character. So that's what intrigues me the most about live theater. Yeah. Well, that's definitely how the, you know, it started with the Greeks, the whole catharsis mm-hmm. that they were experiencing as they watched whoever it was uh, go through their tragedy. And Yes. And, you know, they were teaching moral lessons through their, through their plays that you don't want mm-hmm. to become this. Yeah. So... I think that's to me is the most intriguing part of it. My students now as a director and a teacher, letting them experience that for the first time is so wonderful, especially when it clicks, mm-hmm. when they get it. It's just so fabulous to watch and experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think about plays that I have seen that um, that I've watched over and over again that you get to a certain part and you're just so wrapped up in it and you're so feeling it with mm-hmm. the the um with the characters but you're also feeling it with a larger sense of humanity and i don't want to get too you know hoity-toity about that but <laughs> no but you that's know true. that's true but you're just you're just seeing what it means to be human what it means to go through grief or or memory or regret or um, any of those emotions and and the whole idea of catharsis is the purging of those more emotions mm-hmm. so yeah maybe you haven't dealt with the divorce of your parents or a breakup of some sort and then you see a play and they're going through the exact same thing and you have that breakthrough that cathartic moment and it's kind of healing for you and you can move on Mm -hmm. and this experience with an audience you're sitting in a room full of other people it's live it's present it's happening in the moment and you're sharing this with these virtual strangers but you're all you know there together enjoying this moment and experiencing it at the same time which is also i think wonderful too yes and i i think that that it means that if to be in this kind of field you you have to develop an empathy that maybe you you either have naturally or you have to develop it. Yes, yes. I I, I tell my students that all the time. <laughs> yes, I don't could be. I don't think you could be uh, authentic in the way you're portraying something. No, and and when you're studying the craft of acting itself. And most people, and I won't go into a boring sermon about or, or lecture about the Stanislavski system, but that the method of acting in, you know, taking your, your personal life and transferring that to the stage is really one of the best, the best ways to act. And that's what we are witnessing most of the time when we watch actors today. They've gone through some sort of Stanislavski training, whether it was an offshoot of Stanislavski or whatever. 
And that's really just getting in touch with yourself, your emotions. And it's scary for some students to do that mm -hmm. because they've never really tapped into those emotions or their physicality, how you walk and talk at the same time. It's like they forget how to do that. When you give them dialogue, it's like, okay, what do I do with my hands now? Or what do I do? How do I walk and say this line at the same time? Mm -hmm. So that being the case, you know, give me a pitch for why everybody should take an acting class. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I think ultimately, whether you ever get on the stage and do a show, it gives you this wonderful self-confidence because you are having to think about how you speak, how you sound, uh, your physicality, your communication, whether it's nonverbal or verbal. It just fills you with this self-confidence. I think I keep going back to that. And that's when I talk to my students who've had acting class or who are in acting class, that's what they say the most is that I feel confident now to go out and present a project in my classroom or at my workplace. I I just feel like I can I can do this now and I'm not timid. And I think that overall is the most important thing is the is the self-confidence issue. That's that's amazing. It's uh, do you think that they they it kind of I hate I hate this term, but they tap into a part of themselves that they didn't realize was there. Yes, yes. Because okay. maybe no one's ever told them, Wow, you have a great speaking voice or wow, you have a great sense of humor. Or, wow, you have a great empathetic nature to you. You really can tap into other people's emotions. And maybe no one's ever told them that before. But by taking an acting class, they discover that about themselves. I have so many stories of students. I'll tell you one quick one. Uh, it's my favorite one. I had a student. The first semester I taught acting at Dalton State, I had just started the class. And this very shy, timid young man came up to me after the first day and said, Ms. Carell, I don't really think this class is for me. I, I, I'm I'm too shy. I, I can't do this. And I told him, I said, you know what? It's okay. Let's just, just hang in there. And you've got a while before you have to drop the course. So let's just see what happens. So I sort of, you know, took him through the baby steps of it. And I saw him every day getting a little stronger, a little stronger. He did his monologue. Then they have to do a final scene. And he blossomed over the course of the semester. Well, he left. I thought, I'll never see this guy again. A year, year and a half later, I was auditioning for um, a show called Christmas Bells. <laughs> Very silly, funny Southern Christmas play. And he showed up to audition. Now, this is a kid who'd never acted before and was painfully shy. And I cast him because he was perfect for this particular role. After that, he stage managed for me. He even did a musical. And he also did one of our children's theater tours. So this was a kid who virtually... Couldn't even hardly stand up in front of people and talk. He was so painfully shy to doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. great. That's what's so fun about teaching when you see those. Yes. Yes. And he's just one of many that have done that. And that's what brings me the greatest joy when I'm teaching is to mm -hmm. see that. And that's why I feel so strongly that the arts should never go away in schools, mm -hmm. in life in general, obviously, but especially in the school system, because there's there's a place for everyone in school, but everyone has different talents, different creative abilities. And theater is hugely profound in that. And it should never be taken away because some kids, that's where they find their place is with the theater group. Yes. You know, I uh, I 
you and I have talked a lot about what what are called high impact practices in the mm-hmm. higher education, and I they, there's a list of them, and I always just say this list is incomplete because the performing arts aren't on here, and I mm-hmm. can't anything more high impact. It meets all the requirements of it. That's yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, of theater or or musical in um, involvement as well, but because um, mm-hmm. you know there's there's certain eight qualities that a high impact practice in education is supposed to have, and theater has all of them. And I don't know why it's not on the list. I think it's because the people who made the list probably have never done theater. <laughs> and that that is so true, Barbara. I know you had you know ahead of time had asked me that question about what what I feel like people don't know who are not into theater, what they need to know about theater. And I really think it it boils down to the process. They do not understand the amount of time that it takes and also the vulnerability that it requires mm. for people. Because like you said, you go to see a, a piece of theater, somebody's crying, they're, you know, pretending that they're dying or they've lost a loved one or they're happy, whatever the, the scenario may be. Those actors are raw up there they are having to just bear themselves and their souls to get that performance and we just kind of take it for granted Mm -hmm. that they're up there doing that that takes a high amount of training vulnerability being in touch with your emotions the practice that goes into it uh people just don't i don't think they get it unless they've actually experienced it and my theater students my theater appreciation students tell me always at the end of the semester i always ask them what did they find the most interesting and they always say the amount of work that goes into putting a play together oh wow yeah that that's interesting that Mm -hmm. and that they would just they just think people show up (laughs) yeah i mean i think people go well you could just you know now professional actors when i was professionally acting in theaters and stuff we would we would rehearse for a week or two and put on show because you had professional and you were working all day and that type of thing here at Dalton state i start at the beginning of the semester and then our plays happen towards the end of the semester and we rehearse a minimum of three nights a week mm-hmm. for that 16 week period and you know that people don't realize how hard we do work to put these plays together mm-hmm. and some of the actors are experienced and some of them are brand new and if they're brand new you have to work a little harder with them to get them there Right. Even memorizing lines, the more you do it, the, the better you get at it. But uh, starting, you know, um, I, I don't know about you, but I have this recurring dream where I'm in a play where I'm supposed to be in a <laughs> I don't have a clue what my lines are because I have been in a play and where I've had to memorize, you know, half mm-hmm. the <laughs> And, uh, you know, and you just, uh, I don't know that I could do that now. <laughs> I'm out of practice. You know, I, I have, that's so funny because for years, I mean, I had no trouble memorizing. I would, you know, give me a big thing. I, I did a one woman show in grad school on Emily Dickinson. It was just me for two hours. So it was dialogue, 35 poems, everything, you know? And so a few, a couple of, well, I guess it was a few years ago. Um, we did Steel Magnolias at Dalton State. I wanted to direct that beautiful show. I had done it years ago. I played the role of Anel. I thought this would be a wonderful uh, venue for our our girls and our costume designer Lori Raper suggested that I be in it this time I'm like oh no no she said no you need to play Malia and then I debated and I thought 
this would be a great experience to work with the girls that I had directed, you know, for some time now and get myself back on the stage again. But I tell you, my biggest fear was memorizing lines Mm -hmm. because as you get older, you know, it is a little more difficult. Yeah. And I have to say, I was the first one off book, so I was very proud of myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, That doesn't surprise me, though. That was an added pressure, you know, on their professor on stage with them. So I'm like, I've got to make sure that I do it correctly. Well, it's sort of like, you know, yesterday I, you know, uh, I had some students talking to some uh, potential students about the film, uh, uh, their film major. And, Mm you know, they were emphasizing so much the teamwork and how much, uh, how much work goes into a film. And I don't think... Mm -hmm like that well you know uh, uh film and well film and theater they cross in certain areas obviously but they're very different mediums yeah and uh i think a lot of non-theater people don't get that because one of my biggest pet peeves is that the of theater etiquette the audience etiquette when they come see a live play i think some of them feel like they're watching a movie that they can mm-hmm. talk or eat or do things say things out loud the actors can hear you. We're not deaf. We can hear you up there. And so it's very distracting. And in a film, it's all, you know, it's the close-up. It's very subtle. It's all the subtlety. In theater, you have this, you have to project these same emotions to the back of a house. It could be seating thousand people in there. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very, it's a very fine line of, of this enlargement, this universal quality of theater is this enlargement of of playing this poignant moment real and present and truthful to the front row as well as to the back row and, right. they, and there's no cut either you're on you're on and anything can happen yeah i i often am surprised when i hear that a, a film actor is is actually doing a play because to me then they become a real actor i know that's probably bad to say that but <laughs> I, I personally think theater trained actors you know, have a little bit maybe of a step up to you know, and then they if they can transfer that to film it's because like i say, it's very hard because we're used to being a little bit more exaggerated and heightened on stage and when you get a camera in front of your face you can barely move your face at all because you'll see the emotion so clearly mm. thank you for choosing to listen to this episode of dialogues with creators In this podcast series, I try to introduce listeners to creators in the Northwest Georgia and Tennessee Valley region, and of course, beyond. Not only do I wish to introduce you to them, but also to their work and their unique approach to using their creativity. That's why so far, and in the near future, we will air interviews with three entrepreneurs, a graphic designer, an engineer turned successful freelance writer, a biologist, a poet, two theatrical directors, a filmmaker, a humorist, an historian of Appalachia, psychologist, and a mother of a young person with an autism diagnosis. I have lots of ideas for future interviews, and I welcome any input from listeners. What is my goal in this podcast? First, to remind listeners that creativity comes in all shapes and sizes. Second, to encourage their own creative expression which can get so lost in our everyday, well, hassles. Third, to publicize what these creative folks are doing. 
to go see their plays or films, to read their books, to patronize their work. And fourth, well, it gives me a chance to talk to these fascinating folks in a formal setting and have a recording of it. As you probably know, there is an expense with this endeavor. I pay the producer for her excellent work in sound design, and I pay Spotify for the airtime, as we used to say. In this case, for their hosting the site on their server so you can find it on any number of podcast platforms. All this to say, I have three requests if you like what we are doing. Leave a review is the first. I've heard podcasters say, only leave a review if it's a five-star, but I won't be that exclusive. Do be helpful and constructive, though. Second, contact me through my website if you have ideas for future interviews. My website is easy, barbaragrahamtucker.com. I had to make it long to distinguish it from all the other Barbara Tuckers. Third, if you would like to advertise your small business or nonprofit, that would be super and a step towards making this a community effort. Advertising rates would be very reasonable and you would have control of the ad. I don't want to go to a crowdfunding route right now with this. There are plenty of other worthy crowdfunding projects to give to. As always, thank you for listening to this commercial and let me know what we can do to make this a better podcast about God's gift of creativity. So, um, you know, with all your experience, if you had to pick a favorite part that you played, what would it be? Why? I started thinking about that. I have actually have a few, but um, one of them is I played Dot in Sunday in the Park with George, which is a Stephen Sondheim musical. I don't know if you've ever heard of it or not. Uh, It's based on the life of the French painter George um, Seurat, who developed pointillistic painting. But anyway, uh, that was such a highlight in my life because it was so challenging if anyone has ever done a Sondheim musical you know what I'm talking about it's very difficult music he weaves the story into the lyrics and into the music itself so it's not your typical you know uh, Oklahoma or South Pacific where we're going to have a little dialogue and sing a song about it you know the whole storyline is entwined into the music and just beautiful all of his shows are so wonderful so that was extremely challenging very emotional and just a real highlight of my life um i loved doing maggie and town on hot tin roof because who doesn't want to do a tennessee williams play some point in your lifetime so that was also very challenging and you know back to still magnolias it was very interesting to play anel at a younger age and then revisit the play again playing a different character when i was older so that play has a very special um feeling in my heart as well to explore both of those roles yeah um yeah maggie's a, a deep uh that's a deep character mm-hmm. okay. yeah. mm-hmm. tennessee williams is going to be <laughs> oh yes it's going to be that vulnerability that bearing of your souls you know roughing up mm-hmm. the, the edges so to speak getting yourself ready to go out there <laughs> right if uh so it, it, now you do a lot of directing. You direct a play at least twice a year with our student. Right. How do you approach that? And especially, uh, you know, as a director, you, you're creating, but you're also interpreting. And that process mm-hmm. fascinates me. Um, you know, 
Yeah, I, I never, I never saw myself as a director because I just wanted to be an actor. Uh, I worked with some really great directors in my lifetime, and I just thought that you know I won't ever do that. Except my senior year in, in undergrad, one of my professors, Dr. Claren, he wanted me to direct one of the main stage shows. So I was like, Oh my gosh, can I do this? Here I was, just a senior in college. I directed a Joe Orton play called Loot, which is kind of a crazy um, British comedy, but actually a dark comedy. And he, of course, guided me and helped me. But that was my first dabbling into directing. And, I, you know, and my kids will tell you, I'm a, I'm a much, very much control freak. So I like that uh, aspect of it because you are in control of everything when you're a director. Mm-hmm. People don't realize that either in the theater, that the director is the core person until the show opens. Mm-hmm. They, you know, everything runs through the director. And so when I approach a show now, first of all, I consider my audience and at Dalton State, of course, we've we've built up an audience uh, uh, over the years, which is great. And I know they expect a certain type of, of play. So I always consider them. But I also have to read a, a play and it has to speak to me in some way. I know that sounds very ethereal and weird, but uh, is it is it a is it a story that I want to spend four or five months of my life with? Mm-hmm. Do I want to see this played out over and over and over again? Will it be beneficial to me as well as to the public? Will it be beneficial to the students? What can the students learn from this? So from a from an academic standpoint of directing, that's kind of the things that I go through, and mm-hmm. then. You know, sometimes you can, I'm kind of jumping in, I think, to your next point about limit, limitations when it comes to directing, but I've, I always stress to my students that we must stay true to the playwright because ultimately it's their story that we are creating or recreating for the public. And so we don't paraphrase, we don't change the dialogue. They wrote it for a particular reason mm-hmm. because a lot of times they'll want to change things or I'm like, no, 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 we must be true to the playwright. <laughs> <laughs> and you, being a playwright, you understand that obviously. And I'm um, written. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so, and it's all, and that brings up another point. Most playwrights, you don't get the opportunity to work with. I had the wonderful blessing of doing your show a couple of years ago, uh, the Full Art uh, River Tanning Salon and Bank Shop, and it was great having you around. For well, direct. But it, it was also great for me because, you know, you listen to people and you say, no, that doesn't work. I, you know, you can't have a 20 word sentence in a play. You need to have you have to have it the way people actually talk and, and things like that. So it, it helped me to rewrite it in, in portions that were too yes, great. That's, and that's a blessing for the director, because I can actually go to you and say, Barbara, what did you really mean by this? Or, mm-hmm. you know, what was your intention in this? What's your vision for this? Or Barbara, I don't know that this is actually working. This scenario, what what do you think we can do? And you were great about saying, okay, well maybe we can change this line or add this joke or or that type of thing. So that was a wonderful experience. But most times directors don't have the opportunity to work with the playwright. Do you? So you kind of take what's on the page and go with it. Do you do some research to to find yes. out? Oh, especially, especially if it's a period piece outside of our modern time. Uh, right now, I am directing the Rainmaker in Richard Nash play. It's a classic play. It was written in the 50s, 1950s. And it's it's not a play that I can transfer and make it 2023. Mm-hmm. There's no way. So we're, we're having to keep it in, in 1950. 
uh, when I did the Odd Couple a couple years ago, Neil Simon play, we had to keep it in the 1960s. It just wouldn't play well in 2023. Mm -hmm. Does does that make sense as far as, you know, the jokes or the the references, that type of thing? Just don't, you can't. Some plays you can modernize. I mean, people take Shakespeare all the time and Greek plays and put them in, you know, any time period. And you can. They're sort of universal stories. But some of our, you know, last century plays are written because theater is a reflection of society. And I tell my students all the time, if you'll read the plays, you'll understand what was going on in the time period that it was written, because that's what playwrights write about. So um, the summer just classic and you want to do them. I I keep them in that time period and that makes it even more magical. Yes. And and, uh, that's one thing that uh, I appreciate about your uh, your productions they're very authentic to the time um it which is sometimes people don't want to do they try to modernize things and make give it a you know a 2023 coolness or perspective or whatever you want to call it like now we've done that we yeah I mean, some things are classic and they're they're meant to be enjoyed. I mean, how many old movies do you still love to watch? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes you back to a certain time period or a memory in your life or a, just a different time in, in general. So, I mean, there's plenty of new and upcoming plays and new playwrights that are wonderful that are writing about issues that are going on right now. Sometimes I just, sometimes the real world is just too much and you're like, why do I why do I want to put this on stage right now? <laughs> right. Right. Well, and you didn't have to think about your audience and what you're doing in educational theater. You're not doing avant-garde. Uh, exactly. Cutting edge, off-Broadway stuff, you know. <laughs> and sometimes we just want to come to the theater to escape all the trials and tribulations of our of our everyday lives and what's going on in the world. And you get swept away. That's why we watch movies. That's why we tune out in front of the television. It's the same principle. It's, it's all the same. Yeah, I was thinking of like Casablanca, that movie. Can you imagine it today? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And everybody, that's another point. Everybody wants to, like, we're doing the Rainmaker, as I mentioned. And it's it can be misinterpreted in a lot of ways because the time period... It's basically about a girl who is living on a ranch with her two brothers and father. It's uh, there's a, the beginnings of a horrible drought happening in Texas, and she's not married. She's considered a spinster at 27, and their brothers and her dad are trying to marry her off because that's what women did and should do. And then this flamboyant uh, man comes onto the scene named Starbuck, who claims he can bring rain in 24 hours. And she's sort of caught up and swept away with him and his vitality and charisma. And she discovers a part of herself that she had never discovered before. He helps to bring that out in her. And and it actually all the characters in the play have a transformation. That's truly the theme of the play is, is an overall feeling of transformation. And uh, but the my lead girl, she's like, I don't understand this. You know, why does she feel like she has to get married? Why does she do this? And so she's looking at it with the 2023 you know, yeah. mindset that a 1951. So we're she's she's working on it. She's doing some lovely interpretation. I, I can't wait for the public to see it because these these kids have really had to do some serious acting to bring these characters to life. So it's been very fun and very fulfilling uh, helping them and watching them grow. Do you do you have them interview people who might be like, 
you know, she had a grandmother who was more of that. Oh, yeah. I always encourage their backstory. You know, I have my my actors because I do follow the Stanislavski system, whereas you do your research your character, you ask questions about your character, you research your character, whatever ways you can. And, you know, what is your goal in this show? What what do you hope your character will accomplish? And what is your character accomplishing through each scene? So I take them through that as we're working uh, through the through the play. And so I you know, any way that they need to research is what they need to do. Ah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, in your thinking, then, uh, one thing we haven't done in this podcast is is defined creativity. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. (laughs) I think that would be limiting and the, uh, to what we're doing here. And one thing I don't want to do is limit because I think limits sometimes can help creativity, but generally can hurt it. And so where do you think creativity comes into this whole process? Well, for me, creativity, and I'll just go back to a minute, a minute ago, I mentioned my faith. As a Christian, for me, creativity comes from God. He's the ultimate creator, right? And so to me, if we are made in his image, that he delights in us being creative because he is the great creator. He has to do that. So to me, creativity can come in any way shape or form in your life and to me creativity should bring you joy and i find great joy when i am being creative and i'm one of these overachiever creators i am not truly happy if i am not doing something creative and it doesn't just necessarily have to be theater you know i listed a whole bunch of jobs i had when i was in california but i for me now, I also have a side business called Ms. Kim's Creations where I make bath and body products. So I create soap and lotion and uh, body scrubs and then, you know, things of that nature. So I'm being creative there. I create the labels. I create the ideas behind it. I love to bake. And, and so when I'm baking cookies or cakes or breads or things of that nature, I am using my hands to be creative again. I I found a new joy in creating uh, dollhouses. I know that's very bizarre, but I've always been infatuated with miniature things. So during COVID, I just went with that uh, that that desire, and I built a beautiful two story Victoria dollhouse. And now I'm working on a little cottage as a sort of a dedication <laughs> to my mother who recently passed away. I'm calling it Mabel's Cottage and filling it with little things that uh, would reflect her. So that is another creative side of me and. Yeah, I even have chickens. I even find creativity in my chickens. I mean, I had to put baby pictures of my chickens in their chicken coop because I have to just go that little extra, you know? So when I have a dinner party or any kind of party, there's a theme and and I like to do, you know, just just go that extra mile because it just brings me joy to do that. And it truly does. That's neat. Yeah. I okay. So creativity is is what brings you joy. That's a yes. That's a definition there. Um, that's yeah. putting boundary on it. I, and so, you know, and that's interesting because if if it doesn't bring you joy, uh, is it is it creativity? You know, <laughs> that's right. And, and like I said, I think God wants us to delight in our creativity. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, to me, and it all has to as 
go back as a service to him. But like I said, he, he instilled that in us. He gave us that desire. And some people tap into their creativity a little bit more than others. Some people only do a few things that, that bring them joy, whether it's gardening or just it's simply, uh, you know, uh, drawing or writing or, you know, whatever that creativity is in your life. Mm-hmm. I think you should embrace it and go for it and, and not get so hung up on, well, I have to be perfect at this. Yes. Some things I do better than others, but I just love to try new things. I'm always wanting to try a new craft or a new, yeah, a new thing. I, I, it's hard to pinpoint what I'm trying to say yeah. here, but I find joy in 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 discovering and in trying new things too. Mm-hmm. That's neat. Um, so, along with directing, you teach. Where does your creativity come in teaching? Oh wow, <laughs> you you know as as a professor, it, you know, it's really hard sometimes to teach the same subject every semester. Yes. So you have to find new, fresh ways. I try to keep up with what's current in their lives so I can make references that they'll understand. Because you mentioned if a cat on a hot tin roof or Tennessee Williams and they look at you with this blank, they have no idea who you're talking about. <laughs> I even had, the other day I mentioned Reese Witherspoon. They didn't even know who she was. Oh, literally. So, yeah, so you so finding new ways to reach the students and keeping it fresh and new. And sometimes I feel like I'm actually putting on a show in class just to keep their attention, uh, you know, with humor and 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 that type of thing. So that that can be a challenge sometimes. Yes. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I I reached out to my other colleagues and I, you know what kind of activity do you do, especially if we're all teaching speech, for instance, or that type of thing. I like to try new ways in class. And new creative things to do to to keep it fresh and alive for the kids. Right. Well, thank you for being with us today, Kim. Do you, you have anything else you'd like to say? Oh, well, you know, you we talked about, you know, I, when I left California, I came back here 20 years ago and I wasn't sure how I was going to continue my creativity here. And luckily, eventually I got a job uh, where I was able to become a sort of video production and I got to create a lot of TV shows for a local uh, cable station here. And that was wonderful because I, I created a kid's show. I did a cooking show. I did a gardening show, uh, sort of a news type show. I even uh, did a six-part uh, documentary series on the history of Catoosa County, which was very fascinating. So I should have mentioned all that when we were talking about how I went into directing because that really sort of helped me grow in my organizational skills and in my leadership skills to become a director was by doing all these different types of shows, organizing, writing, directing, and producing. Oh, wow. That's, that's a lot. It is. Yeah. Well, that, it, does that program or that, that channel still exist? No, they, they oh. disbanded it. Um, I have a lot of DVDs or you may find some stuff on, you know, YouTube and that type of thing, but oh. um, it was, uh, it was a very interesting uh, seven years of my life. I grew and learned a great deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, of my about my creativity and my talents. Mm-hmm. Wow, for sure, that's big. Uh, that's a a big area of your life. I um, yes, it is. I should have mentioned that earlier. <laughs> that's that's fascinating. So, yeah. Um, so I just love lots of things. Let's just put it that way. I, I dabble in a lot of things. Theater is my first love, obviously, but mm-hmm. I do love to enjoy all of these other creative things. And I encourage everyone. 
if there's just something that you are fascinated about or you're just interested in, just go try it. Just go right. do it. You don't need to be perfect at it. Find out what brings you joy and then go for it. And, you know, that's very much like the whole mindset thing that we talk about with the students. You know, we, we mm-hmm. kind of put in like, you know, don't be afraid of math or don't be afraid of public speaking. But it's it's true about everything. You have to take some risks that are, yes. you know, not like you're going to fail and, and it's going to be some horrible thing. But you can you can try some new things. And I think that's what college should, you know, allow you to do. Try some new things. Oh, I but, agree. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, you know, tr- take some risks and um, find out that you have a, a talent or a skill or a um, a passion somewhere that you didn't mm-hmm. know. So, yeah, because like I said, some of these kids that, that never had acted before have actually gone on to do theater that never in a million years thought that they would. Right. Or like I said, or it just gave them confidence. I have a girl right now I'm acting class who's a business major and she's like you she goes i can't believe how much this class is helping me for my major so i don't think people realize how important acting and theater is for different occupations mm-hmm. truly not just as a calm major english majors education majors business majors i mean you know, i would even say in some of the sciences in nursing think about how much contact you have with people as a nurse mm-hmm and, and learning to be more empathetic and the emotions. I mean, you have to be present and there for these patients that are going through sometimes horrific things or their family members. And if you can tap into that empathetic nature, that's going to help you so much, I believe, as a nurse and make you a very good nurse. Right. That's just my two cents worth. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's more than that. And I want to... <laughs> I want to thank you for uh, being on our podcast today. And I think oh, that thank you for um, me. we'll, uh, this one will be one that a lot of people want to listen to. <laughs> I, I hope, hope also. And, uh, I hope I've enlightened people about theater a little bit more and encourage them to come see productions at Dalton State College. We do some good stuff there. And so, yeah, as we end, uh, when is Rainmaker? It opens April 14th. It's the 14th and 15th at 7 30 and then we have a sunday matinee on the 16th at two o'clock and then we do it again the next weekend the 20th through the 22nd all evening performances and we have a, a facebook page adult state college theater that you can get a lot more information there and we also have an instagram page as well okay there you yes. thank you barbara i love talking about the arts so thank you for having me you too thanks right. for being here uh-huh. thank you bye-bye bye